You're listening to audio from Century Baptist Church. To connect with us, visit centurybaptist.org or download the Century Baptist Church app. It's great to be uh, together today. Um, they say familiarity breeds contempt. I'm glad, uh, Pastor Ethan, that you said that this morning. You kind of uh, came out of the vault, brought some, uh, some old school songs. When we sing songs over and over again, the same songs over and over again, we know this. They, they kind of just get old, even though they're powerful songs and great words. But for some of us, we're like, ah, can we move on? Can we find something fresh? And can we find something new? Familiarity breeds contempt. Some of you in the room here are the, the heroes of our community, and you are teachers. And your school year is almost done. Hang in there. We love you. We pray for you. With the beginning of the year, right, you go out in the summer and you decorate your classroom for all the little angels that are going to come into your class, right? At the end of the school year, you're like, I don't know if angels is really the way I'd describe these children, right? Uh, and, or, or maybe when you, when you first get married, like in our beautiful relationship, where your wife just adores you, uh, and, and uh, she's like, I love how at night you've got this little when you sleep. And now, now 30 years later, we, I don't allow her to sleep with pillows. Because uh, she's gonna, I'm gonna wake up one night, and that that snoring is gonna be just a little too much for her, and she's gonna cover my face, and the snoring will end forever, uh, uh, right? Familiarity breeds kind of. The more we get to know something or somebody, the more uh, a lot of times it starts to rise up that that we just don't like it. When the cell phone came out, everybody had to have one because oh, have you ever? There's nothing these things can't do. Then you have it for a while, like, why doesn't it do what I want it to do? And we, we absolutely detest it. Familiarity breeds contempt. When we really get to know somebody, uh, we start to see that they are not so much the, maybe the, the superhero that we thought they were, the best friend that, that we thought they were going to be. We start to see qualities in their life that actually are human and that they're flawed. And, and we don't, it's almost like, we don't fight with people, with strangers, as much as and deeply and as viciously as we do sometimes with our best friends. We start to see people as flawed or abnormal as we get to know them more, and sometimes we then actually begin to dislike them and even reject who they are. The understanding that we have as we read through Scripture, uh, the prophecies about the, the, the Savior that would come, about the Messiah, about Jesus, is that in order for him to sacrifice his life as the innocent sacrifice, the perfect and spotless lamb for the sins of mankind, over and over and over again, the prophecies say he would have to be rejected by man. It'd be really easy. It'd be really simple uh, for them to, uh, to kill him for wrongdoings, but in order for them to take an innocent man and put him on trial and sentence him to death, uh, one, he would have to do no wrong, and, and people would have to just decide they didn't like him. They rejected him. They weren't going to accept him for who he was. Isaiah 53 says he will be despised and rejected by men. That would have been in the mindset of 
of the people in Jesus' day, the religious people of Jesus' day, which was almost everybody in the nation of Israel, Jewish people looking for their Messiah to come. But this, this prophecy in their mind from the great prophet Isaiah said, maybe they didn't understand, what does it mean that he's going to come and we're not going to recognize him, we're not going to like him? We're going to actually hate him and despise him? Absolutely not. No way. Let him come. We'll love him. There is nothing. We all know this. There's nothing more painful than being rejected by the people that you love or by the people that, that should love you. And I know that maybe strikes a chord in each of us today because we can, we can think about that. And, and there are names and faces and relationships that may have been broken in the past because there is no pain like, like being rejected by people that, that you know so well. But that's what happened to Jesus. That's what happens in the text today. If you want to go to Matthew chapter 13, as Jesus is rejected by his people, it is prophecy fulfilled. But for the people of Nazareth, it left their lives unfulfilled. I want our text today to speak to us, to help us to realize the fulfillment that we can have in recognizing who Jesus is. This is what Matthew writes in, uh, in chapter 13, starting in verse 53. Let's stand together and read the word. <clears throat> when Jesus had finished the parables, he went away from there, and coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogues so that they were astonished. And they said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? Are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all of his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all of these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Father, this morning, uh, we, we open your word, we read your word uh, as the highest authority in our lives, and we just ask that through every word that is spoken from the text that we read and what it is that I have to share, that it would, that it would sink deep into our hearts only because of your power and what it is that you do. So we ask that you do a great work this morning, Father, in your name, amen. You can have a seat. So as, as the people of Nazareth move from taking something that they, they thought they knew, something familiar, and they forcibly make it foreign. When we do uh, mission trips, so over the, the, the number of years that I uh, have done international mission trips and taken students, the, the thing that we do for months leading up to the trip is we study the culture of the country that we are going to. Because we are not going to be uh, the typical, I don't mean to offend anybody, the typical Americans who go to another country expecting them to do everything the way that we do, right? Can you believe they don't speak our language, right? You know that, I mean, that's how, that's how oftentimes we operate. And so we want to make, we, we know that, that if we go into someplace and we don't understand it, we're going to hate it right away. And it, we, there's this thing that kicks in, it's called culture shock where you almost can't even handle being there. And so we try to help students and help people that are on these trips to just be familiar with the culture so that it's not foreign to us, but we go in like, yeah, I recognize this and I love it. 
But what was happening in Nazareth, they took somebody that they knew, they took somebody that was familiar to them, and they decided in their own that they were going to make it foreign to them. And it, it cost them deeply. Jesus moves on. The, the passage begins from, from his teaching on the parables, his time around the Sea of Galilee. He goes about 20 miles west uh, to his hometown of Nazareth. Now, let me just say this because I, I want to and, and because we need to. If you were not here last week and you didn't get a chance to hear Pastor Ethan's message uh, as he concluded the, the, the section on the parables, I will say this. I grew up here at Century. Right? So I grew up here. I've had a number of lead pastors uh, over me that I sat under. Uh, and I will tell you this, last week's sermon was the best, clearest message that I've ever heard preached at Century Baptist Church. It was fantastic. So yeah, to God be the glory, right? So if you missed it, go back and listen because you, you need to. It, it was just a beautiful, a beautiful description of that passage. Uh, and so I'm, let's pray. I'm done. No. Um, but... Uh, uh, so, so Jesus moves on from his teaching on the parables, and he goes home. Remember, he, let's talk greater context. He has now been, been teaching, and people didn't understand him, or they didn't believe him. They rejected him. Only his disciples would come and say, can you explain what that parable meant? We need to know more. The whole time, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, are on his heels, looking for ways to catch him doing wrong, and they wanted to kill him. Uh, don't you always feel like when the weight of the world is, is coming upon you, when you feel like you're all alone and people are rejecting you and don't want to have anything to do with you, isn't the best place to go home? Right? I mean, it should be. Maybe it's not for you. But the best place to go should just, I just, oh, I just want to get home. My son, we talked to him last night. He's coming home from college on Thursday, right? He's, he's had a, a long year and he's just ready to just come home, right? And, and just get loved on, right? Mom, make my favorite foods and, you know, all that. It's just home is where the heart is. So Jesus goes home to Nazareth, the place that he uh, grew up in, and, and he goes into the synagogue and begins to teach because that's what they did in those days. It was, it was typical. It was normal. A traveling teacher, a traveling rabbi, for him to stop by a synagogue and, and to be the one that that takes the, the scripture of the day and then explains it to people. A sermon, basically, on how they could apply it to their lives. It was an exciting thing for the people in a town uh, to have a traveling teacher come. It's a, it's a fresh new voice. and something that they want to hear. And for those in this community, who for the most part haven't, they haven't been following Jesus, but they've been hearing a lot about what he's teaching, and they're hearing a lot about his miracles. What a day. A place must have been packed. This is going to be great. we got a traveling preacher or a traveling rabbi, and he's taking uh, the text for the day. And we can't wait to hear what he has to say. His fame had spread. A synagogue in Jesus' day in first century uh, Israel uh, was... Uh, was Really, the, the, um, the word synagogue means assembly, just like uh, a, a church, ecclesia, fellowship, right? A, a synagogue, yes, it was, a, it was known as a building, but you, you went to synagogue. You went to assemble with, with the people that share the same faith, just like we know that, that this building oftentimes is, where is your church located? But we know that ultimately, and in reality, 
we are the church. We're, we're the assembly. We're the body of Christ. And so when you would come to synagogue, that you would assemble so that you could hear just like we do today. This is where, it's where we get the preaching of a sermon. You get the word and then, okay, so what are we supposed to know about God and ourselves and how we should live because of the word that, is, that was read today? On most days of the week, the synagogue building was used as a school for uh, children. It was oftentimes used as a courthouse. It was used as the central meeting place for a community. In a larger community, you'd have more than one synagogue. They say Nazareth, probably by Jesus' day, had had started to really grow. Maybe about 20,000 people, so multiple synagogues. Um, But on Sabbath, it was a house of prayer and a place to go and to praise God and to dig into the Word. Usually what would happen is people didn't have copies of the Scriptures for themselves. You had to go to synagogue to actually hear the Word that was preached. That's why you memorized as much of it as you possibly could. But you would go, and the first thing that would happen is the reader would pull, each synagogue had a certain number of scrolls, whatever they could get their hands on. They didn't have all of the Old Testament, but they would have some, and they would... uh, the. Whoever was in charge of the day would pull a scroll out, hand it to someone, and they would stand up and they would read that text. Usually a number of passages out of the Torah. That's the first five books of Moses, the first five books of the Old Testament. Then they would put that away, and then somebody would pull out something from the prophets, and they would read that. And then whoever the teacher was of the day would come, and he would sit on this stool, this seat in the middle of all of the people, and then he would explain, this is what we just read. There's a... Uh, There are two times that that we read about in the Gospels that Jesus visits Nazareth. Luke tells us that the first time that he visited was right after he came out of the temptation in the desert. Uh, And uh, they read out of the scroll of Isaiah. I have come to preach good news uh, to those who need to hear it. I've come to rescue the lost kingdom to uh, give the poor what it is that they need. right? And and so um, Jesus then, we know, says... Uh, today, this is his sermon. Today, uh, the word that we read has now been fulfilled in your presence. That was his sermon. You'd all would love that, wouldn't you? What the two sentences? Do that one, right? But what the reason I don't is because what happened to Jesus? They hauled him off to the cliffs over Nazareth. They were going to throw him off and and kill him. That's why we do long sermons. <laughs> from from my sake, my life is at risk. Uh, but but so that was that was that passage. We don't know in today's text. It doesn't say what he read, but he went back home. They rejected him right away. This is about a year later, and he goes back home. We don't know if it's the same synagogue, probably a, a different one. Um, but he went, and he, and he spoke, and he was once again rejected. And their response to his message and what it is that he taught was that they were astonished, it says. In other words, they were jaws dropped. They were dumbfounded. Where in the world uh, did, did he get these words? They were amazed at his wisdom, mental excellence at its highest capacity, almost divine, right? And, and, and they refused to see it because they knew him. What? No. I mean, I heard what he said, and I heard that he does miracles, but there's no way he's doing it. Not, not, not Jesus, the kid that grew up down the street. Absolutely not. Where did he learn this? He was uneducated. Where did the miracles come from? They're so quick 
so quick to discredit him. They, they refused to see the power. They refused to hear what he has to say because they were familiar with him, but too familiar. They, they, they kept it pretty horizontal in how they knew him. And what do they use to discredit him? Some of us can really relate to this, right? They use his family. Who, who's this guy? Oh, the carpenter's son? They don't even, they don't even speak Joseph's name, right? So among, among themselves, they need to bring him down. So they bring him down to this, oh, he's the, he's the stonemason's son. Because carpentry in, in ancient Israel, there's not a lot of wood there. Chances are pretty good. Joseph, he was a carpenter, we know that. Uh, but he worked with stone. Oh, he's, he's just the stonemason's son. Oh, oh, the isn't he Mary's boy? Isn't he Mary's oldest boy? Mary, the one that somehow got pregnant uh, out of wedlock, right? Everything that they're saying isn't he? Doesn't he have? The, aren't those his brothers? And aren't those his sisters? No way. This guy is anybody. And they start to drag him down. They they add it all up. Not to mention that he's from Nazareth, and nobody looked highly upon Nazareth, not even people in Nazareth. We don't, we don't succeed here, right? We, we, don't, we don't do much outside of our, of our town. People don't expect much of us, and they come to the conclusion, the, really the question, so where did he get all of this? How in the world can he do this? Because we know him, and definitely didn't come from his family. His dad's, not, his dad's a, a, a carpenter, he's not a a rabbi, not a prophet, not a teacher. The problem that they had is, is they knew a lot about Jesus. It's the same problem that we have. A lot of us know a lot about Jesus, but we don't know him. Because we refuse to let that relationship get deeper. To, to dig deep into, where does this come from? I want to know more about who he is. They tried to measure him based on the family that he came from, or his lack of education, or, or even just the, the town that they're from. They refuse to see the evidence. The frustrating thing, as we get, we get the blessing of looking pat back at, at, at all this in kind of a 30,000-foot picture of what was taking place in the day, but, but if you were a, 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 a Jewish individual following after God, uh, in Jesus' day, your ultimate goal in your life was to look for, to long for, and to pray for the coming of the Messiah. That's all that mattered to you, right? Let me be here. Let me be here when he comes. Even in their death, if you go to Israel today, surrounding the walls of the city of Jerusalem is surrounded by cemeteries. And people pay an incredible amount of money to have their body put as close to the temple and the temple gates as possible. That even in their death, that when the Messiah comes, that they would be, they'd be raised first. They get to see him and touch him first. In life and in death, they are devoted to, I, I want to see, touch, experience the Messiah. He's right in front of their noses and they refuse to see it. They turn their noses up at him. There's no way. There's no way you are who you say you are. 1 Peter 3.15 is what we can take away from this today. In your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Know him for who he is. Know him for what he's done. 
see what he's done in your life and you put him at the center focus that your eyes stay true on him at all times. You don't measure Jesus based on his brothers and sisters and mom and dad. Everything that we do is the father. God sent his son to give his life up for us. He's Lord over our lives. Set apart Christ, Lord over your life. Problem is the people in Nazareth made him not just not just that they, they didn't believe him, they made him less than a stranger. So they first had to minimize him, but then they, they push him down uh, even lower in their own minds. They make him less than. They ask this question, well, where did this man get this wisdom? Now it doesn't seem like much to us, but if you go back to the original language, what they're actually it's actually that was actually a statement of contempt. Now they're angry with him. Uh, they, they really don't like him. When they say this man, what they're, what they're really saying is, who does this guy think he is? That, that's, that's ultimately the interpretation of that phrase. Who in the world does this guy think he is? He is one of us. He thinks he's, does he think he's better than us? Remember, Carpenter's son, Mary's son, brother's you know, that, that are, what, nobodies? Sisters' names that aren't even worth mentioning here? Don't think that you're better than us. Now, let me say this. I shouldn't have to uh, put a little uh, preface to it, but I will, because I don't need any haters in this. This is an illustration, not promotion. Got it? Okay, got it. No letters this week. There's a girl, her name is Taylor Swift. Biggest pop star uh, in the world right now. Uh, again, not an endorsement. Listen, I've been in ministry long enough. I know how this goes. But I'm choosing to use this as an illustration anyway. Uh, and, and she sells tickets to her concerts in the biggest stadiums around the world. And the minute her tickets go on sale, uh, they're gone, sold out. And people are crying, I didn't get it. I waited on life for hours. They love this girl. And, and puts on this incredible show. When... When Taylor Swift was in high school, when she was a junior in high school, she had to be homeschooled because the kids in her school hated her so much because she was getting famous. And, and, and they, they, same thing. Who does she think she is? Thinking she's going to be somebody, right? Thinking that she's going to go make it somewhere. They, they had to, they got to, why do we do that, right? We get, somebody starts to rise up in anything and, and we're, you know, like here in North Dakota, hey, don't, you know, settle down now. Don't think you're somebody. we got to take people out at the knees as soon as they start to rise in any way, shape, or form. We know how it goes. We do it in our own homes. We do it to, the, to our coworkers. It happens all the time. And that's what's happening here. These people are saying, who does this guy think he is? Thinking he's going to be somebody. Thinking that God might actually use him. Thinking that he's better than us. Because Jesus didn't fit into their box of what they wanted. And so they had to cut him down. Jesus' response to them is, a prophet is not without honor except unless he's in his hometown or in his own house. That it, if you look back in ancient literature and ancient writings, it's actually a saying, there's a parable, it's a saying that was, that was a phrase that was used oftentimes in a number of different ways because it's true. And so Jesus just brings it back. He says, this is just like everybody in the world says, that a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown. Right? He's not welcome in his hometown or in his own house. There's two ways that this could be seen. One, 
One way to interpret that is that, you know, kind of the whole, well, I, I remember changing his diapers, right? You know, little guy running around the neighborhood. They, they just don't, they don't they're, not, they're not able to see past. They're not able to see him grown up. They're not able to see and accept what it is that he's doing today. Because he's always, always going to be little Jesus, right? Running around in the neighborhood. The other way, uh, it, we know this really well, is because of envy. Envy is desire plus resentment. When, when we see somebody doing something great, it shows us a little bit into ourselves. Makes us kind of think, well, I'm, I'm not doing anything great. So, so what I have to do is, in order to be greater, i got to tear them down. Happens all the time. In our relationships, like I said, in our schools, in our offices, uh, everywhere. We, we here at Century, as, as a staff, work hard to fight against that. We, we say we're for each other in all that we do. Because God's for us. Wants to see us do great things. And never are we going to cut one another down no matter what happens. And we've got some pretty incredible staff members uh, on our team that are doing pretty incredible things uh, in ministry that's impacting stuff around the world. We applaud it. We don't get envious. James 3.16 says, Where jealousy or envy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Wake-up call for all of us today. When we let envy into our lives, when we, when we can't celebrate others for what they are doing, what James tells us is your life will, will fall uh, to pieces. When you let envy into your life, when you want to pull people down, when you want to tear them down, all it's going to do is it's going to tear you up. And this is what they're doing with Jesus. I'm a fan of the author Simon Sinek. He's just a great writer. He uh, also a speaker. He's got a TED Talk. Uh, and, and the TED Talk that he has is understanding the game that you are playing, understanding this, this life that you're in. And he said that there was a study done. Super interesting. They asked uh, a number of people across the country. They said, if we were to come and to give you, offer you a, fr- a brand new free home, and your options are a $400,000 home in a neighborhood where all the other homes are $100,000, or a four or a million dollar home in a neighborhood where all the other homes are worth $4 million, which would you take? And 70% of the people said, I'll take the $400,000 home in the $100,000 neighborhood. I will take less if it means it makes me better than everybody else. That 70% of the the people that were asked, that tells us a lot about about who we are as a people. We want to be better than people. And we we can't can't be around people that seem to be better than us. And this is... This is what's happening with this interaction with Jesus. He's cut from the same cloth that we are. Who does he think he is? What makes him so special? We measure ourselves up against another person. If we find ourselves coming up short, we've got to do something about it. And rather than elevate them, we drag them down. Ever feel the sting yourself? Something big happens in your life great excitement and the world that we live in today you're like i don't even want to tell anybody because i know what they're going to say right oh don't let your head inflate right whatever 
Um, we don't, won't raise our hand. And we know the answer's in school, right? But we won't raise our hand to have the teacher calling us because we don't need other kids going, brown noser, right? We, we're, we're hindered by what other people, by other people's envy. Jesus understands. But I'm glad that, I'm glad that he doesn't let it affect him. He knows who he is. He knows his mission. He was rejected in Nazareth once, almost thrown off a cliff. He goes, I should go back there. Why? Give him another chance. One more chance to see who I am, to accept me for who I am. Jesus says a prophet is not welcome in his hometown. A prophet is more than a wise man. People in Jesus' day hadn't seen prophets in their lifetime. John the Baptist was the first that they would have ever seen. Jesus comes again. A prophet speaks the words of God on behalf of God. A prophet was always welcome. And Jonah went to Nineveh. He was afraid to because people were going to get upset. He speaks on behalf of God and the whole city repents. Everything changes. Jesus goes to his tiny little hometown and they tell him to get lost. Don't bring those words in here. Who do you think you are? They want to run him away. They saw Jesus as lower than a prophet. There's a French philosopher from the 1500s, Michel Montaigne, who said, the greater I get away from home, the greater I become. That's the idea. If I can get away from my hometown, people actually see me for, for my giftedness, for what it is that I have to offer. And the same thing happened with Jesus. Wherever he went, people followed him, brought the sick to him, but, but not in Nazareth. They fell short. The presence of God right in front of them, they refused to accept it. So what it says is, so Jesus did not do many mighty works in their town because of their unbelief. It, Mark chapter 6, it says that he, Jesus did very little. He healed the sick, which is still miraculous. But he did very few mighty, they didn't get to experience the mighty works that Christ could have done in their lives because of their unbelief. And it's not, it's not that, that he couldn't do it because Jesus is God. Jesus could do anything that he wanted to. He chose not to. Why? Because miracles are God's glory on display. Jesus did miracles to point people to the Father that they would see him doing those works and that they would glorify God in heaven. That's what Jesus commands us to be. Let your light shine before men, that they would see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Our job is to just be a reflection of, of who God is, that people would see what we do and, go not, and not say, hey, great job, but they would say, what an incredible God that you must serve, that he would do that kind of thing in your life, that he would use you to do such incredible things. Jesus didn't do miracles in that town because nobody was bringing the sick to him because they didn't believe in who he was. But he moved on because he was there to glorify God and if God wasn't going to get any glory, if they were going to see his miracles, just go, ah, there's no way he could have done that. There's got to be something else to it. They refused to accept it. They marveled at his teaching, but then they turned their backs on him. Jesus performed miracles to give authority to his words that people would see and hear. 
what God wanted them to hear. Miracles are proof of His power. So that people would give God praise and worship. And they were never going to. So, so Jesus moves on. The Westminster Catechism that really has been around for centuries, it drives us as evangelicals in why we do what we do, says that the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. In other words, the purpose, your purpose on this earth, my purpose on this earth is one reason, to glorify God at all times. You know, anything that we can do, that, that our lives as we live would, would be one constant song to the Lord for how great He is. And that, and that that the world would see us living that way and that they would praise God for who He is. The people of Nazareth didn't get to witness the power of God on display and in turn not give God the glory and in turn not be able to fully serve their purpose on this earth. They were, fell short because God limits His actions to where the results will be recognized as his accomplishments. We need to understand that. God limits his, his greatest activity into the lives of those that he knows will fulfill the purpose of him getting the glory. If we're going to get the glory, God says, I'm out. Right? In other words, you don't get those blessings. You don't get to see the miraculous works that I want to pour out on you. As Jesus said, you will do, what, did he tell, what does he tell his disciples? That then flows down to us. You will do greater things than, than I have done. But what has to happen is we have to be ready and willing uh, that in anything that happens in our lives that we point it right back to God. All God. To God be the glory in all that we do. We even talk about it here at Century. It's in our mission statement. We exist to grow and make the disciples of Jesus Christ for the glory of God. Not to fill a room, not so that people can compare us. We can make it on some top, you know, every year we get a survey. Would you like to be listed as the, one of the fastest growing churches in America? No. What we, wanted, what we want to do is we want to be known as a church that God is at work doing His activity. And, and we're just a bunch of people that love Him a ton. That's the only thing that matters. Oftentimes we sell God short. We, we pray to Him for our needs thinking that the end result is our happiness and our contentment. God says, no, I'm, I'm going to give you what you need so that you can glorify me, so that you can give me praise. And it's all throughout Scripture. God doesn't give us what we ask because we pray. He gives Scriptures because we ask in faith, and in turn we acknowledge that He did the work. Jesus says that, John 14, 13. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do, that the Father might be glorified. That's the end result of all things. We're, we're not the end of all things, right? It's, it goes into us, out of us, through us, and then back to the Father, that He would be glorified at all times. He, God says Himself in Isaiah 48, 9, For my name's sake, I hold off my wrath against you. For my name's sake, I hold off my anger for the sake of my praise, God says. In other words, so that I could be worshipped, I restrain my punishment on you. And he says twice in a row, for my own sake, 
for my own sake. In other words, he's pounding it into our heads. God is all about God. And he says, for my own sake, I do what I do. My glory I will never give to another. And Isaiah 43, 6, he says, the reason I created each and every one of you is for my own glory. That, that, that we would just be a reflection of how great God is. He didn't put us on this earth so we could have our five minutes of fame. It's so that he could have eternal fame for who he is. The greatest display is found in John chapter 12. As Jesus goes to the garden and he begins to pray before his death, he says, my soul is troubled, but what am I supposed to say, Father? Save me from it? He says, but for this purpose I am here, to glorify your name. Look, I don't, I'm, I'm not... I'm not changing your theology. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shouldn't perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus went to the cross to save you and me. But ultimately, in the end, what scripture says is, we're not the reason Jesus went to the cross. He went to the cross, yes, to give us new life, but that new life we're given is so that God could be praised. So that God would be glorified. Because nothing like this would ever happen in all of eternity to rescue us. Jesus says, what am I supposed to do? Say, I don't want to go to the cross, but I'm not going to thwart your plans. And your plan is, God, that you would be glorified, so I'm in. Whatever it's going to take. Ephesians 1.4 says that in love, God predestined us as his children through Jesus to the praise and glory of his grace. Our salvation is not the end. God is. All praise and glory to him. Let's pray. Father, this morning we give you praise. I say thank you for who you are. We could, we could continue to talk about this all day. Father, uh, all, all I want to say in a prayer to you is thank you. Forgive us, Father, when we try to steal your thunder and your glory. Forgive us when we, we get too close to you and, and all of a sudden maybe even too familiar, uh, and, and we want to push you away. But Father, all we want to do is live for you and bring you this glory that you deserve for what it is you've done in our lives. And Father, if there's anybody here today that's just chosen to, to reject your son, Father, may they realize today that they're falling short of what it is that, that you want to do in their lives. One sinner repenting results in incredible celebration in heaven for you. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. May we live lives that, that do nothing, Father, but glorify you in everything that we do. We give you praise. Amen.